Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to UNC 56-45. to Robbie, uh, give us a cheers. Kick us off. Let's, let's just get right into it. We'll get right into it. I'll give a cheers to the resiliency of this football team. We'll talk about the depth that we had on the defensive side of the ball. Another 15 players were out this week after 23 the first week, 21 the second week, then 15 this week. So we're heading the right direction. But after a 21-0 start with four minutes left in the first quarter, I thought this was going to be completely over. I thought that there was no chance. The team did everything they possibly could to try and get back into it. And in the end... Really, the running backs and Sam Howell were too much for for Virginia Tech. But the guys put in a lot of effort. Everybody played hard. And like Fuente said, he can't really fault any of the players. This is really just, it's tough. It's what we've been seeing for since March across the country, everywhere. And we've gotten hit hard by it. And that's it. So hats off to these guys buckling down after halftime and making it a game. Cheers to their fight. Yeah, that was that was a battle they put on, and, and we're going to get into all of it and break it down. We are still in the AP poll despite the loss. We're number 23. There are still five ACC teams ranked. You got Clemson at number one after they put a hurting on Miami, and that game was never really close or in doubt. Notre Dame is at number four. UNC moves up to five. Miami dropped to 13, and like I said, we're at 23. We have NC State, a team we beat just outside the top 25 in the receiving votes. They would technically be number 27. So the ACC, if NC State takes care of business and we're, we manage to beat BC, could have six teams in the top 25. be pretty incredible considering what we've seen on the field. It just so happens that the rest of the conferences are a dumpster fire as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Big 12... Uh, still no defense being played in that conference. It's we're many, many years into that. Uh, but a lot of bad defense across the country, SEC, ACC, in our game, we, we saw bad defense. And so that kind of made me feel a little bit better because there was the focus of many national podcasts this week was just how bad the college football defense has been across the country. And teams have been bad. One of the most common lines I heard across the national podcasts was LSU. Man, they are horrible. Not bad, not struggling. They are horrible. That is a team that won a national championship. You and I talked about in the offseason, beginning in the season, how much they have lost. Totally understandable. But talk about a team riding the highest of highs and now the lowest of lows. So we're not not alone in our struggles week to week. Let's put it that way. Think about LSU having the SEC record broken for passing yards against their defense. And then that same offense that did that to them didn't score an offensive point this past week against Kentucky in Mississippi State. They scored two (laughs) against Kentucky. It's honestly, it's incredible, but it, it goes to show, and not to get too far off track, how hard it is for anybody outside of Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson to reload every year. It just doesn't exists. So if you're looking to 
for anybody outside of those teams to be somebody that reloads every year and really puts a hurting on people, it, it's getting harder and harder to exist. And we're going to find out this weekend if Georgia is on that level this year because yeah. Alabama and Georgia are playing each other. We're going to pick the game later. I'm excited for it. So, yep. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Anything and everything will happen this season in college football. And I expect results. You'll see one team play great, and then they'll play awful the very next week. So uh, I'm hoping we kind of see some of that from our defense. Maybe we bounce back against BC, but we'll get into that later. Like you said, 15 players out for the game. We did get Justin Hamilton back as a defensive coordinator, and we had Waller, Chapman, and J.R. Walker all come back in the secondary, and Tisdale come back in the linebacking core. However, we were missing... Divine Diablo and Keonta Jenkins are starting two safeties. And Tyree Rogers didn't play. He seems done for the year due to an academic-related issue. We didn't have Brian Murray. And then to round out the other positions, Tanuta didn't start on the offense. And Crawford didn't play at all, not because of COVID, but because of an injury. So we were we were definitely down some guys. And if you just look at the starters who we should have had at the beginning of the year, when Connor left the game, we were missing our top six safeties in that game. Yeah, it's a, it's absolutely incredible. Like I, I did read some comments from people saying, "Well, you had we had a decent amount of people that we thought would contribute this year that played on defense, but not when you start to look at what happened with Hunter being out, with Farley being out. You have to take those things into account. We were banking on those guys when we thought about what this defense was going to look like." Mm-hmm. And you can talk about Jenkins, Diablo. It's it's not as though we were dire straits, but when you hear Fuente say we were looking at what offensive players could play defense for us, that's not a good sign. No. And it's not just, oh, we got Waller back. We got Chapman back. We're good. Like those guys, what kind of shape are they in? Have they been watching tape? Have they been running at all like we we just don't know like how much any of those guys have been playing or prepping so it's very difficult uh but i was happy to see some of them come back and i was optimistic that if we got a few of them back we'd be able to hang but that wasn't the case yep let's hop into the game recap before we break it down some more we quickly went down 21 nothing that was the score after the first quarter we finally got on the board in the second after a seven-play drive capped with a one-yard TD run by Mitchell, that's a play we've seen more than a few times in the past. We scored again a couple drives later on the eight-yard run by Herbert to make it 21-14, to and it felt like we had a bit of a game. Unfortunately, UNC answered with a TD, scoring in just five plays to go up 14 again. We had to go for it on fourth down a few times, including at the end of the first half. Couldn't convert. UNC got the ball back with a one minute and 11 seconds left. And Hal uncorked a beautiful pass to Brown. He hauled it in with just 16 ticks on the clock. Just a brutal punch to the gut before the half. I didn't drink for this game, so I had to, like, I was way clear-eyed for everything that was going on. I was just, I was frustrated, not because of going for it on fourth and three. I thought it was the right, I thought it was the right play. I think Fuente and the team, or the coaching staff, saw what was happening in the game, saw us go down 21 nothing. knew that this was going to be a tough game. We needed every point that we could put on the board. And it was just the, the slant pass on the fourth and three when we know we have a running back that's so good. We have an offensive line that is so good. 
to throw that pass and then for it to turn around and go the other way for a touchdown with that Ugh. little amount of time on it was a gut punch because yeah. they were they were trying their best to, to stay in it so second half starts enter hendon hooker we kicked a 55 yard field goal to get the second half scoring started but unc responded with yet another quick scoring drive they went up 42 17 on the 16 yard run by carter but then our rally really began. We scored on a four-play, 75-yard drive with a five-yard run by Hooker. That was set up by the bobbling catch by Mitchell, which was awesome. Yep. Then we did a sneaky onside kick, and Brian Johnson recovered right after it went over 10 yards. I was blown away when I saw that. That play was, I know he said they had been practicing it a lot, but execution is totally different than practice. And he played that amazingly great kick, and he gets... It wasn't, didn't go to anybody else. He caught his own, so it was perfect. <laughs> it was perfection, man. We quickly scored in three plays, the amazing 52-yard run by Herbert. He showed off his vision yet again. We had put up two scores in less than a minute after that one. Thanks to a drop by Michael Carter, we got a defensive stop on the following drive and went 77 yards in eight plays, scored on the pass to Tavion, went for two and missed it, but we were only down five at that point. It was 42-37, the guys had fought nearly all the way back. Yet again, UNC responded back-to-back touchdowns to go up 56-37. Wasn't feeling good. We put up one more score, another 77-yard drive. This time, it was a 26-yard TD catch by Mitchell, but we couldn't put up any more points. It ended 56-45, and the Hokies lost. And Robbie, they probably should have had another touchdown at the end for UNC, but that's just a... Make sure we're all level set on how things really ended up versus maybe the uh, the score box. <laughs> For sure. I'd say the story of the game was the poorest defense, our resilience yet again, and the return of Hendon Hooker. I think those three things are the, the main takeaways from the game. Couldn't agree more. The coming out after the, the locker room speeches in this game, Arkansas, a lot of games that Virginia Tech has played in, They found a way to, we joked, I think on Twitter, people joked, this better be a hell of a halftime speech. It must have been a pretty good one because this team quickly got down 42 to 17. Think about that. Right then, most people had turned it off. And then for them to march back and make it a game, get within five points, extremely resilient. But we'll get into what's going on with Burmeister and Hooker, which is a little bit befuddling at this point. And then us going away from maybe some of the things that really helped us during the first two games as well, in terms of the run and what that meant and the inability to pass downfield to open up that run, which I think is extremely important. Do you want to do the defense first since that's kind of the, the sour part of this review? (laughs) Yeah, let's, let's knock it out because I'm, I'm really not going to be, necessarily as sour as I think maybe some others out there, but that's, sure. and I know that's saying a lot in one of the worst <laughs> defensive performances in a long, long time. Yeah. We gave up 656 yards. Might've been 654. doesn't matter. It was a lot. Uh, in Andy Bitter's article, he said it was the most yards given up since at least 1987. So we're talking about before Beamer to find a worse defensive performance. UNC had 399 yards rushing. 9.94 yards per play. 
that is like a first down every single play. And that's what it looked like. I mean, we're talking about gaping holes, no one getting off blocks, guys wide open. When we got stops, it was usually because UNC screwed something up or dropped a pass. Every time we got a stop, that was the only reason was drop passes, um, some sort of you know miscommunication on their side. They were, Fuente said it, nobody, nobody hid from the fact after the game they were doing whatever they wanted. And in fact, the only thing that was surprising was that they just didn't run it every single play for 10 yards a chunk. They actually decided to keep passing sometimes, and some of those passes were incompletions. They should have just been running it all over us for the entire game. Yeah, and and I know like the guys we're missing were in the secondary, so like why was the run D so bad? But obviously Diablo and Jenkins would have helped tremendously in the run defense as well. I've not seen our run defense that bad since the pit game in 2018, you know, when when there was just gaping holes and that defense was far worse than this defense despite the guys being out. So there was a lot of things going on. Connor getting ejected didn't help anything. And I do think that more than just how badly we played, this was just their day. Like, I would really like to think that it was a Blake LaRusa type day for UNC. You know, when we played ODU, that performance didn't make any sense by that kid. This is kind of what that is. And I know they've got Howell and I know they got weapons and we made a lot of mistakes, but to account for what went on, it was just one of those days, man. I could agree with that. I would say there's some other piece of this. So Hal had a had a good day when he was throwing. He didn't throw any interceptions. He had been a little bit subject to some errors early on in the season, and he cleaned those up. Carter and Williams, we previewed that. We talked about how good those two running backs and have, how they've been overshadowed by the way UNC had played in the first few games, but extremely talented, and they showed it. Beyond just what our defense, they, those are two really talented guys. I would say it all snowballed on itself. Early on, I tweeted about this. Connor could not do anything against Newsom. Daz was all over him, juking him. It was brutal. Obviously frustrated Connor. Then Connor goes out and gets the stupid ejection penalty on what I can only call as just... Um, you know, one of those brain fart moments that you do something completely outrageous, if not worse, and then he's out. It was they they had they were just building up momentum in that run game to the point where the defense wasn't the talent didn't even matter at that point. There was just so much momentum and so much confidence that mm-hmm. as soon as I get the ball, I'm going at least ten yards on every single play. And when that momentum takes hold on a game and the defense starts to feel depleted, upset. Their heads were down. They were just upset about it. It's, it's not their fault. They were put in such a bad situation and there were a lot of errors by the players, but the momentum, they had no chance to turn that around. You wouldn't need two or three stops and they, they weren't going to get any. Yeah. It it was a bum rushing that momentum thing you're talking about. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at with it being their day. And there were a lot of guys that, that tried their damnedest, but I was disappointed in the defensive line. I mean, I know Crawford has not played that much, and he didn't play at all in this game, and we do miss him dearly, but it shouldn't look like this. The guys we have behind him are talented. They're young, but they're talented, and Kendricks and Pollard, and you still got Hewitt out there, 
and we got a couple seniors on the defensive line, like that was an inexcusable performance from that perspective. Uh, then you have Ashby and Dax kind of not having a great day either. They played terrible. They were all out of <laughs> position. It's fine. You can just have a bad day. I have a bad day yeah. at work too. Like it, it yep. happens. They did not have a good day. No. Matheny led the team in tackles. I know. <laughs> the freaking walk-on led the team in tackles. Maybe that's more of, more of a microcosm of what the hell was going on. They were already in our secondary forcing Matheny to make all the tackles, but that's not a good look when the walk-on leads the way. Uh, Dax had nine. Waller and Tisdale both had eight. Just one sack and three tackles for loss in this one. And, and that's so much different from what we've seen in the other two games. Barno had the only sack, and it actually was kind of at a key time. But uh, but yeah, man, no, not enough pressure, not even enough, even beyond the sacks, not that many hurries. I mean, we didn't – you said they didn't drop back as much as they could have, but they were still dropping back sometimes, and we could not – wrangle in Sam Howell. I, those passes were coming off fast. The outside, the corners, we were playing off the ball. Basically, just it looked, and it probably should have been given the depth that we had, but it just, we were playing 10 yards off the ball and Howell was just sitting there, I mean, just chomping at the bit. He's like, yeah, I'm going to throw this five yards and then see if they can scurry out for another five to 10. And it happened every single time. And then in press coverage, we didn't have the talent to keep up with them on the outside. Newsom was doing pretty much what he wanted with his speed and obviously a really good player. It was very difficult to to watch, but I I don't when I look back on it, I am disappointed in the defensive line. The linebackers just looked befuddled and confused on where they were supposed to be. And Matheny doesn't in some of those plays he had the most tackles, but if you remember the Carter run over on the right, that those two people cannot play against each other. That is like Pee Wee versus no, like no. like Carter I, b- burned him, and then Matheny still played his butt off on that play and ran all the way down the field, sixty yards when he didn't have a chance of catching him. He was trying his best, but it just it wasn't a matchup that was ever going to work. On once the play had, had broken down for us, he can't make up for it there. Yeah, and I don't think we'll see. Hopefully that bad of our performance, even when we play Clemson. I don't expect Clemson to gain 9.9 yards per play. But, like, I am scared now of Miami. I'm scared of Clemson, what they could do after seeing this performance. But we are obviously hoping to get more healthy, get a leader in the back, get Diablo back there again. Um, But, yeah, we had... We had a fair amount back. Like the only the only real keys to the secondary that were missing were Diablo, Jenkins, and Brian Murray. Yeah. But like everyone else was kind of there. And so it that scares me, but I don't think it can be you can't look past the fact that after Connor left, like I said, if you include Hunter, Tyree Rogers, Nazir Peoples, who screwed up his knee before the season, that's the top six safeties. All, all out. It's not just Diablo and Jenkins. It's Hunter too. It's we we're we're way into our depth. So that you have to look at it that way as well. And the change in scheme. It took a couple games for it to catch up with us, but those were also two games on film that UNC got to stare at when they weren't playing and really scheme against and know exactly where the weaknesses were, what we made up for them. 
And now you hope that we do the opposite. Take that film and the guys can take that back and look at being out of place, out of position, what was going on and use that to our benefit because we're going to need it to your point. I'm, I'm frightened as well, but I am hoping that we use this film as a way to really understand where the faults were in this game. Only 25th in the S and P plus, despite, despite the bad performance on defense. And that's because the offense was so good. And I let's move over to that side because that'll put a smile on a few people's faces. Because when you look at the score and when, the committee looks at the score when they're ultimately doing CFP rankings and stuff. It doesn't look that bad. And that's in large part to what the offense and Hendon hooker were able to do in that second half. There's no way to look at it and not feel good about the offense. And I always, I said, when I think I texted you, I mean, like sent this out on the message board. Like if you said we score 45 points in this game, forget what happened on defense, just wipe that out and think about UNC be like that's a really tight game and we probably win that on any any other time any other time the offense played their their nuts off and we still miss some plays we still miss some chances for extra points and that fourth and three that we we gave up i don't understand what is going on and i guess i understand the background that hooker hadn't played as much we just talked about the same thing on the defense which is we don't know how much those guys even though we had them back how much they've been practicing things like that but the burmeister situation and it wasn't just that it was that burmeister went in as the starter then we threw hen hooker in for a period of time then we put burmeister back in and then at the second half we switched back over to hooker I, I got I got nothing. Like I don't un, it doesn't make any sense to me. And if you thought Burstmeister was the guy and that's like who your new horse is, then you go with him even during some challenges. But I don't know, maybe you have different thoughts on it. I'm just confused. I just don't understand. Well, I think I can at least uh say what I think Fuente was thinking. When we got the word that Burmeister was going to start that started leaking out Saturday morning. We were texting about it and I was like, I'm so tired of this, like, like BSing around with a quarterback. Like if hooker is the starter, start him. He's in pads on the sideline, play him. He was our starter last year. It's not like he's never played before. And so I was already kind of bent out of shape that he didn't get the start to begin with. And I think most Hokie fans were in the same boat. And then Burmeister comes in, proves once again, he can't throw. And yeah, I know he's fast and that he's good in the read option, but I don't care. We we know that Hooker is good in the read option. He should have been in from the start. So they do the thing where he comes in for a series. And I think the idea was, uh, Fuente didn't expect for the game to get so sideways, first of all, but he expected Hooker to be able to go in for a series here or there, get his feet wet, get comfortable, maybe end the game with 10 action plays, 15 action plays and then start him the following week against BC or the week after that. Like it was kind of an easing hooker in thought process. I don't think it was smart, but I think that was the thought process. And it was blatantly obvious once hooker got in the game that he was far better. And we all knew it was far better. It was the same guy we saw last year. I said two weeks ago, I'm not worried about rust with Hendon hooker. He is He's one of those guys you just don't have to worry about. He, there is even keel all the time, all business. He's going to be good when he goes in there. And he was. And it wasn't just like touchdown on the first throw. He needed like a drive or two, but 
Hell, I mean, do you look at his QBR? He had an 81.9 QBR. Burmeister hasn't put up anything beyond a 40 in any individual game. Uh, <laughs> I think his NC State game got adjusted because NC State's played a little bit better, so it might be like a 45. But 192 pass rating for Hooker, uh, an 82 QBR. It was the third highest performance of his career in both categories, passer rating and QBR. He played great. Three yeah. total touchdowns. He should have been the starter from the beginning. Maybe the whole game goes differently if he's the starter from the beginning. And I'm sure Fuente is kicking himself a little bit for it. Yeah, and the things are going to be weird during this. And there's going to be strange decisions made. And sometimes not everybody's going to make the perfect decision. This one just didn't... I, it's so hard because with the closed practices and all of that, we, don't, we have no clue. And this is the problem like in some senses that... Yeah, it's all shrouded behind closed doors. We don't know what's actually happening. We don't see Burmeister. The fact is, as soon as Hooker went in, UNC immediately thought that there was a pass threat, and it opened up everything. It took, yeah, three plays. If that's what it takes to get somebody warmed up, three plays, I'll take that every day of the week. But it immediately looks like a whole different beast when he's out there. And that's not to say that during the first two games it didn't work but that was versus lesser competition that we now know. And now they have two games of film to understand there is no pass threat here or not Mm -hmm. big pass threat. Absolutely. So we're just going to sell out on the run. And then as soon as you open up, even just the threat of the pass, they have to change scheme and it opens things up dramatically. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that it was an, an easy decision before UNC to start Hen and Hooker. I don't see practice every day and neither do you. And so, yes, there's that caveat. We know that Hooker was dealing with some kind of mysterious injury that he had to get cleared from and maybe Phil was worried about him, but we saw the same thing last year. And that's why it's a little bit more frustrating. It's because we saw this slow play with Hendon Hooker last year and it probably cost us a few games. And then we saw the same thing this year and it may have cost us this game. But I do understand that like, you got a guy, he's running the offense to the tune of like a record setting, uh, record pace of offensive yards per game. And you don't want to just throw a guy who could be rusty out there. I, I understand it's difficult, but I still think it was a mistake and it's fine. I'm not saying we would have won the game because the defense was so bad, but it might've given us a better chance. Uh, I, I think I've said my piece on it. He's going to be the starter going forward. That's what Fuente has said now. He's going to start for BC and that's fantastic. We might see Burmeister come in for a series or two to do some gadget plays or whatever, and that's fine. But I'm so happy now that there's no question to it. And to stick with the positive, Herbert, 18 carries, 138 yards, two TDs, 7.7 average. And that was with, the in the first half, wasn't as productive, made up for a lot of it on, in, in the second half as things opened up. For him, James Mitchell, four catches. I know he had the long one for 103 yards, uh, a TD. Black James Mitchell is starting to to bust out a little bit. He had 103, like you said, but he's up to 10 receptions on the year, almost 200 yards, three touchdowns. He's got a fourth touchdown on the ground, like we saw in the past this past game, and he's really had to take on a playmaking role because. We aren't seeing as much from Trey Turner. Tavion is getting his touches, and and Tavion himself is up to 10 receptions, two touchdowns, 170 yards. Uh, And I love the the scoring 
play he had with a touchdown was great little like reminded me of Cam Phillips that yep. that come to the middle of the field, make a cut, go to the end zone. Um but with regard to Herbert, yes, he is he's still leading the nation in, in various categories. His vision is just and, and shiftiness and the way he reads his blocks is is unbelievable. We need him to get more touches. He's averaging about 15, 17 a game. And I know in the first game, he only had eight total touches. And I think 10 if you include the returns. But that number needs to be 20 and over. Like he needs 20 touches. And I, I don't even mean kickoffs. I mean, he needs 20 offensive touches yeah. minimum. It needs to be 20 to 25. And now, And if that means you have to take some away from the kickoffs, maybe put him in there every other one, that's fine. But you got to get him the ball more. And if Blackshear, I, I I hope that he ends up breaking out at some point. He's not there yet. Yeah. So whatever carries you're giving him, he's averaging about 10 yards, 10 carries a game. Drop that to five or six and give it give the ball to Herbert more because I guarantee you if you give him 22 to 25 offensive touches a game, we're going to win and win a lot. Yeah, especially with Hooker that puts them on their heels a little bit, then that's when he can really make some noise. So it gives him, during the first couple games, we didn't have to do that. We just had the offensive line that's extremely talented. And then Herbert just has the patience to be able to watch it develop. Some of the wide receivers blocked really well. The tight ends blocked really well. That's only going to carry you so far until people sell out against the run. You need some sort of passing threat in order to, you know, unless you're Army or Navy. <laughs> yeah. Nearly 500 yards of offense yet again. We're still on pace for the VT school record. Our offensive yards per play is 7.07. That's seventh in the country. That's a lot of sevens. We were 20th in 2009 at 6.2 yards per play. That was the highest I found in recent history. In 1999, we were 6.6 yards per play. So we're currently ahead of the 99 team in terms of yards per play. That's a good place to be. I, yes. I like that place. A little different time back then. Uh, I don't think Joe Burrow was uh, you know, out on the field back then, but we did have... Uh, we did have quite the talent. The yards have obviously increased over time in, in college football. But yeah, your point is well taken that they're the offense through. I know there's a couple missteps here and there. I can't say enough about what the offense has done thus far this season. They, they did everything. The roles have been reversed. It feels like the offense has an ability to keep us in games. They did in this one. We had no business being in it with how bad that defense is. That's one of the worst defensive performances by a team probably this year in terms of what was happening, yards put up, all those sorts no of doubt. things. And the offense worked their butt off. So, you know, if you want to say the tables have turned or Michael Scott, the turntables, uh, going with the office reference, the they, they're doing their part, and now we need to shore up things on the other side of the ball. When you mentioned the Army thing a minute ago, we are third nationally in rush yards per game. The first team is Air Force, the second team is Army, <laughs> and the fourth team is Georgia Southern. Yeah. So those are all option teams, Triple and we're right there with them in terms of rush yards per game. And we are also third in rush yards per attempt. So we we are we are kicking butt on the ground, and that that takes me back to, to the mid two thousands and nineteen ninety nine as well. I know, and it's it's nice. I mean, it, that's why I came away from this game. 
I was extremely disappointed. I was pumped when we got it within five, but I walked away from the game seeing a lot of progress in areas again against a pretty good team in UNC that we've been clamoring for for a while. And now we have to shore up a lot of the other portions of the defense and Hooker, I think, will take care of the passing game. I'm not concerned about that. It's really on the defense. Yeah. And we're still not playing with a full deck. It finally caught up to us on the road against a very good team. We just got to get healthy. (laughs) We got to learn from the mistakes. And we got to go on a winning streak because we do have a little bit of a favorable schedule coming up here. We got BC, Wake, I think it's Louisville, and then Liberty. Yeah. And that's all before the Miami game. I mean, those are four very winnable games. Perhaps the toughest one is right in front of us against BC. Yeah, I didn't expect to say that this year, but I am after doing my review of them and looking at the stats this year and for very different reasons than any other time BC has been tough against us. For sure. Let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer, the best beer stores in the Northern Virginia and DMV area. In fact, I was down in Richmond this past weekend on my way back. I, I hit you up to see if you could stop at Dominion. I was able to get in there, make make a purchase. Man, did they have a great selection, especially, I mean, you go on Dominion, it's just a wall of 16 ounce pounder cans of all craft cans. Like it is really impressive. Upstairs, there's a full bar. Outside, they got two gigantic tents. Um, and Arash even said on, I think it was Friday night this past weekend, or maybe Saturday night, they had live music out there. So Dominion is a great place to go hang out, sit in the tent. They got two TVs. I was watching NFL football. I had a burger. A bunch of my friends came over. It was a great time, man. I know. I couldn't make it. My leash was running thin. So if I was going to cut over there and get back, I would have been able to stick around for maybe a beer at best. So I was extremely disappointed because I haven't been over there in a little bit. So it is, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite places. I only wish that I could pick it up and like put it right next to my house and I would probably be there daily. It's awesome. And was the food food good? Because I've always oh, dude, had my, great The burger food. Was, was fantastic. Burger and fries, can't go wrong. I also started with a pretzel, delicious. Their tap list, I think, was 25 beers or something that we were sitting out there. I had the dogfish head pumpkin that was on, on tap, and I was driving home, so I only had the one beer. But uh, there's all kinds of variety on there. In fact, the main beer company, Lunch, that was on tap. That's a pretty quality beer. It's a great beer. Uh, which I didn't know that they would even have that's that's a good find um but lots of things like that and then obviously up at downtown crown you're going to find a very similar selection a very similarly well crafted and carefully decided on tap list they do a great job getting their tap list and it's a good place to hang in addition to buying your beer and dude i got i got some aslin i got uh ale works i got Uh, Cigar City. I I got some good stuff there when I was just there this past weekend. All right. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. So right now I am having a Duclaw Brewing Company beer, which I don't think we've had on here in a bit. It's the Swell Double IPA. It's one of the 16-ouncers, 9%. It says, imagine transporting your senses to beautiful Scandinavian waters as you take floral and tropical aromas with hints of apple. The the writing on these things has gotten so hilarious at this point. 
it is good, but it's just a double IPA. So the, the, I wish I was one of those people that could, uh, like a sommelier that could just, you know, pick out those flavors and those scents better than I actually do. It tastes delicious, but the, uh, the writing about them has gotten hilarious. It's Duclaw, Duclaw Brewing out of Baltimore, Maryland. A very good double IPA, but I would consider it very straight and narrow, not too much to it. It's kind of exactly what you would expect. I'm drinking the Triple Crossing Brewing Nectar and Knife. This is one I picked up when I was down in Richmond. We kind of did a, a guy's beer exchange on Saturday. So I I obtained a lot of beer this <laughs> week. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I've got a lot of nice choices. So I went with the Nectar and Knife. It's a double dry hop. Triple Crossing, I think, a lot of people think it's better than Vale. They have perhaps the best beer in the Richmond area. And this one does not disappoint. I really, really like it. I just po- posted a picture of it to our Twitter account if you want to look at the can. Beautiful artwork. Just a, a nice sweetness, but not overpowering. Hazy IPA. And I don't drink too many doubles, but this one is going down smooth. 8% alcohol. Uh, so I guess for a double, a little on the lower end. But man, is it good. Nectar and Knife by Triple Crossing Brewing. So Vale was always the brewery that everybody talked about in Richmond for a period of time. And then Triple Crossing came in, at least in my opinion, and started. we started to be able to get it up north. And they put out a lot of really solid beers. Really, really good IPAs in particular. They do a great job with. Plus, you had Nick giving you all the great suggestions. And he knows uh, he knows exactly what to go after. It's funny, too, because we drink a lot of the beer on Saturday when we're down there. We do this just about every year. And the next day, it's I'm usually one of the last ones to leave. And so I'm, like, going through the cooler. He's like, make sure you take as much because he's just going to get left with, like, 50 beers. And so I'm, I'm going through. He's like, points to this one. He's like, take that one. You're going to like that one. So, yeah, absolutely. It was a recommendation by Nick, and it is awesome. Well, I'm ready to move on to Boston College. I I want this bad taste out of my mouth with regard to UNC. I I wish the game were tomorrow because I want to watch some more hockey football I can be happy about. We play Boston College 8 p.m. on ACC Network this Saturday. Last year, Boston College got the best of us in game one. They finished the year six and seven and just four and four in the ACC, and they fired your guy. Steve Adazio. Steve Adazio, who's gone on to, went to Colorado State, right? I yes. Think, and then caused a whole bunch of problems at Colorado State that uh, we're not going to get into on this podcast. But, uh, and the, I think what was mo- most interesting is as things started to derail over there, a lot of the former players came out and said they were not big fans of, of Steve Adazio. So uh, <laughs> it's probably... For the best that they finally made uh made the move. I just liked him because he 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 went out there and tried to play tough games, just you know, real physical, brutal games. And uh I kinda like that. In fact, we're liking that very enough very much right now with our offensive line and our running backs. So Yeah, I would say that with regard to Steve Adazio, I'm grateful he's gone similar to Paul Johnson. Because those two games, GT and BC, were always fistfights every every year. And so I don't know how good Halfley's going to be down the line. But I'll tell you, going up against the BC Adazio teams and those dudes was never fun. 
They always had good linebackers. They always had the big tight ends. They always had a tough offensive line and they'd run it right down your throat. Uh, that's not what's happening this year with BC. Not even close. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we'll we'll get into it in a minute. In 2020, they are three and one. They beat Duke. They beat Texas State in what was a little bit of a dicey game. They beat Pitt by one in overtime. That just happened this past weekend. And they also had a close loss to the very Tar Heels that put a hurting on our defense. I wonder if UNC watched any tape on BC. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they did, but you got to be honest. that That's a pretty good record to be 3-1 and one right now. And Texas State, we can make fun, but that's a decent team. They, they've they played pretty well the, the, in, in comparison to what you would expect for what you would think would be kind of a, a mushy game. I'm with you. And the spot too, like you're sandwiched obviously in between two ACC games. They probably weren't thinking about it that much. And then you have, so Jeff Halfley, he, for those that don't know him well, previous co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. And then before that, I wasn't, I'm not that familiar with him, but you probably would be more so because he spent a good while in the NFL before that coaching. And he was a DB coach for a number of teams, the 49ers, the Browns, Tampa Bay, folks like that. So he was only with uh, Ohio State. I believe it was just one year, but has a, has a pedigree behind him. I know. It's kind of shocking that he already got a power five head coaching position when you look at his past. I know he's been in the NFL for a while, but he hadn't coached in college since 2011 before he was the co-DC at Ohio State last year. And I know if you go to Ohio State, that's instant college credit, you know, in terms yes. of the coaching game. So it's like going to Alabama for the understudy program under Nick Saban yeah, and then getting... You're like a transfer from the community college and then you get to go wherever wherever you want. But he he is the head coach now at BC, and we'll we'll see how he uh, how he does if he can get past that seven win mark that BC always seemed to butt up against. Uh, but they are doing a lot of different things, particularly on offense. They are throwing the ball a ton. They got this transfer quarterback Phil Jerkovich from Notre Dame. He's six foot five, two twenty six, prototypical NFL size. He's completing sixty five percent of his passes. Has Almost 1,200 yards in four games. That is the most yards through four games in BC history. Uh, 7.8 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, just two picks, and decent rating numbers. Not not great, but uh, not bad by any stretch. So it's it's a different BC offense we're looking at here. And the run game has been abysmal. This is in a couple different respects, we'll get to what's happening on the BC defense as well. But this is the complete opposite of what we're normally seeing with, with BC. So their run game is nearly non-existent. David Bailey's 15 carries for 36 yards in that game against Pitt. This year, they have 241 combined rushing yards at, I think it's right about two yards per carry. And yet the passing game, granted, they have Zay Flowers, who's exceptional in there with six for 162 yards. He has a long of 77, so knock a little bit off of that average, but three TDs, and he's averaging... You're talking about just in the pick game, he had three TDs. Yes, that's what I'm, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, just in the pick game. And I think overall, uh, he's averaging in like 20 per reception overall. Yeah. He's at like just, just, of, just over 19 yards per catch for Zay flowers. Yeah. And that's, but 
Zay is someone we knew about last year. Yeah. Like he burst on the scene as a freshman, even in our game, his first game at BC, uh, kicked ass. And he's had to because Kobe White tore his ACL, and he was a big part of their offense. But that running game is the part that's really curious to me. Like under two yards of carry, they're like 1.87 yards per carry as a team. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense. I know they lost A.J. Dillon, yeah. and they also lost Ben Glines. These are two of the names we've heard for a long time, but like, you shouldn't be under two yards of carry at BC, not with four starters back on the offensive line. Something about the scheme is not favorable for this offensive line. It is not, it's not working out uh, great. And because they drop back so much, they've given up 16 sacks. And, and that's made it, it's it's odd for for Jerkovic. He's had these games like Pitt and Duke where like he's played really well, but the other two games he was just so so. Yeah. But the two games that he played the best, he got sacked the most. He got sacked six times versus Duke and five versus Pitt, and those were his two best games. They've also had twelve hurries come in on him. So like they they've taken a lot of pressure to the QB position, and, and to Jerkovic's credit, he's played. Pretty well. Uh, a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde, but pretty well overall. I would say in comparison to maybe some of the jokes we would make in going into the season, he's played exceptionally well for what yes. BC under, you know, a new coach. And it, it, it's it's a little bit strange. They're, they're just taking a different approach. And maybe it's because of, you know, the offensive line isn't what it stepped up to be. Maybe it's because of the coaching staff isn't, you know, prepared to get those guys into games. But it's it's a different animal than we've seen in the past. And quite honestly, to bring it back to what we care about here, the Virginia Tech game, they're attacking where we just showed to be the most susceptible in terms of depth on the backfield and what we have in, in the secondary uh, maybe it'll help out our defensive line a little bit in this game, but otherwise, if he continues to throw at a decent completion percentage, and I bring up only the Pitt game specifically because nobody stopped talking about Pitt's defense this entire season. I know it's been short, but they that was the best defense that they have faced, and they came out and got a W. Yeah, I, and that's kind of the scary part. I don't... <laughs> Again, I told you last week in the podcast, I can't get a pick pit, pit pick right. I can't, I can't say it either, but I can't get them right. And I got it wrong again. I thought Pitt would cover the six points and BC beat them. And I know Pitt screwed it up at the end, but still they beat them. They put up 31 points on them. And part of it is because how dangerous Hunter Long is at the tight end position. Right. I mean, him and Zay Flowers are going to be an issue for our defense. Long already has two touchdowns, 363 yards. He's averaging over 10 yards a catch, uh, and he's almost getting eight catches a game. So they go to him, and they go to him a lot. Uh, I do like the fact that they can't run. Yeah. Based based on what we just saw giving up 300. Thus far. (laughs) Thus far. Right, right, right. (laughs) Based on what we just saw giving up 399 yards, I like to see that they're only getting, you know, 60 yards per game on the ground um, and they're dropping back a lot because our pass rush, I, I think despite last week, I think it's still solid. And I think we'll be able to put pressure on Jerkovic, but flowers and long, like absolutely have to be blanketed because beyond them, you don't have 
a tremendous amount to be worried about. There's C.J. Lewis. He's a big target at wide receiver. You know, he's he's averaging almost 17 yards per catch, but he's only got seven catches. Jalen Gill, 10 receptions in four games for less than 100 yards. Travis Levy is someone I would be worried about in the kick return game, in the running game, in the receiving game. He's very versatile, but he didn't even play last week, yep. I think, because of COVID. So if Levy's in there, that's someone else we should be watching. He'd probably be third on my list behind Flowers and, and Long. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, we just need... We need somebody to step up in the defensive backfield and then somebody, one of the linebackers to really step up and be able to blanket some of these passes and what they're doing. And preferably it would be two defensive backs that step up. But if you can contain those and blanket people, as you said, and the run offense appears to be what we've seen thus far, it bodes very well for, for this defense not to do great, because I don't expect this to be like a miraculous turnaround, but to improve, this is a good week to improve because you can single out a certain point of attack, which is if you contain the pass in this game, then that's a big step forward. I mean, that, that would be, that would be huge. And the, the D line and the linebackers should be able to contain this run. I hope. Yeah. And they should hopefully have a, a bit of a bounce back, but we'll get into our keys a little bit later. On the defensive side, we got two different numbers looking at us here. They're 20th in yards per play defense, but they're 69th out of 127 in S&P Plus. And I think that's because they have not played too many good offenses. They obviously played UNC, and they did well. But the other three offenses they played are are not good at all. And so... That's why they can be so high in yards per play and so low in S&P Plus. And, and that S&P Plus number makes me very happy because I feel like it's, it's going to be a good day for our offense. They do have a lot of vets on this defense, and they seem to be playing a 4-2-5. I, I, I tried to do a little bit of research on that, and I couldn't find any outright statement. But if you look at who's making the tackles, where they're coming in, what who their starters are and stuff like that, it seems to be like two key linebackers and a bunch of DBs that are a little young and then a so-so front four. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's 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 Isaiah McBuffie has 11 tackles, three sacks on the year. Richardson is another linebacker. And then Josh Berry, a defensive back. I mean, those are the names that stand out. And those are just stats-wise. But outside of that falls off pretty dramatically what you see from the the rest of this team. And I'm not so certain that this defensive line is, is good at all. I, I think they may really, really get beat up by our offensive line, which hell I'm, I'm all for it. I really hope that that's the case, but they, they can't, they can't stop the run. And they did decent in, in some pass protection, but it's, was basically like a very weird team other other than having two decent linebackers which I feel like is just par for the course in a Boston College team I don't I don't know what to make of of this defense right now Yeah they they haven't defended the rush well uh a little bit better against the pass and hey that that fits into what we want to do we want to run the ball um but yeah Max Richardson and Isaiah McDuffie 
they're they're gonna be what Boston College has. Like that that's the heart of the defense. That's their their linebackers. That's historic for them. Whatever you got, Brandon Sebastian in the back. We've seen him before. Seven pass breakups already this year. One interception. He could be a little bit of a shutdown guy, but the rest of the guys in the secondary. They're just okay. You got Josh DeBerry, third on the team in tackles, 15 solo tackles, which is a nice number through four games. And Elijah Jones, 14 solo tackles. Mike Palmer, the free safety, 13 solo tackles. It kind of tells me people are getting into that secondary. Yeah, which is what I hope to see, especially if Hooker's coming out there. Let's get into the secondary and continue, especially if their defensive line is is what we think it is that is a perfect recipe for us to open up things early maybe throw a couple mid long passes spread things out a little bit backwards and then let let herbert do what he does absolutely absolutely man the one thing i'll say about their d line is they always have that one guy who like has a ridiculous amount of tackles as a d lineman and this year, it's Marcus Valdez. He's got 19 tackles. Was it Allen or something a couple of years ago? Yeah. They they always have some guy who's like, would just hustle on every single play and just make a ton of tackles from that position. So Valdez could be someone that, that causes a little bit of problems. You got Barlow on the line, too. I guess the thing about their line is there are veterans there, but they aren't standout veterans. So I expect Herbert, like you said, to do his thing against this team. In terms of special teams, there's no S&P Plus listed for them. Like I said, Levy is their normal returner. they got a senior kicker and a senior punter. So that's the rundown on, on what they're bringing to the table. What do you say uh, we go over the keys to the game? All right, so my, my keys, I would say it comes down to our defense, if you would be all that surprised and who we have back. The, the fact is we're dealing with inaccurate information or just not good information in terms of how long guys have been out there practicing things like that. So that would be kind of the easy place to go, but against this, this offense, I think we should be fine there. I think this could be another game where somehow BC puts up, call it, let's say 21 points, 24 points. And we're going to have to really show the offensive prowess that we did last week, what that what we've shown thus far in this game. I don't see this coming out and being one of those games where we hold them. I would love for it to be hold them to a really low number. And that's more kind of that would even be a bounce back after we saw last week. And I know this BC team doesn't have any of the talent in comparison to what Sam Howell and Carter and those guys have on the offense for UNC. I'd also say BC, I think they're 45% on third down as well on the course of the year. They've been able to extend drives, mostly with their passing game. I think that's going to be important for us. And I'm more interested in this game to see really what our defensive line does. They looked, like you said, extremely suspect in that game. And I'm looking for them to take a step back and 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 see what they did during the NC State game, see what they did the, during the Duke game, put that pressure on on the quarterback and really kind of shut down his ability to potentially sit in the pocket. And it's not even sit in the pocket because, as you said, they've given up a ton of sacks. Just rush him and make him feel uncomfortable in the backfield. And on offense, give the ball to Herbert. That's it. That's, that's it. Open up the pass game. I don't care if they're incompletions. 
just throw passes, safe passes down the field, push the secondary back, push the linebackers, make him play a little bit more in protection, and then just let Herbert run. Yep. Uh, defensively, Hunter Long and Zay Flowers scare me quite a bit. Look at our past D stats after last week. We're 65th in passes defended per game, 48th in opposing QB passer rating, and 43rd in opposing completion percentage. And all, those are all out of 76 teams. So all in the lower half of FBS. But I think we can get to Jerkovich with the pass rush. They drop back a ton. Maybe we can force a turnover. That's one thing that's gone their way is they're eighth in turnover margin. So that's bound to reverse at some point. And I think this would be a good week for that. Uh, <laughs> Got to help our CBs out by getting to the quarterback. We are getting Diablo back. So that should be really big for the defense and particularly the secondary. And our poor run D shouldn't be exploited by this BC team. They haven't been able to run. So uh, with their turnover luck due to change and the, the favorable sides of the ball like in terms of what we want to do on offense, what we want to do on defense, it all is lining up well. And some of that is reflected in the spread. <laughs> we see VT as an 11-point favorite. It pretty much opened at that. It moved a little bit, but it's still pretty much at 11 points. And that line, if you look at BC's record, if you look at the history of the series between us and BC, that line doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, it stinks. And so that makes me think something is up. That makes me kind of do my Vegas nose thing. And I I do feel like we're going to be able to run with Herbert. Like uh, if you if you give him his twenty carries, his twenty touches, we're going to get to that two hundred fifty plus yard rushing mark. Hooker will expose their DBs and push the offense to thirty five plus points. If the defense doesn't have a complete meltdown, we should win this game by a touchdown. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say the line stinks, except for at some point you. We, we have had the most attrition, I think, of any Power 5 team that I can possibly imagine that's played. I haven't looked up the stats, but with 23 going to 21 to 15, eventually Vegas has to look at it and go, they're going to get all their players back. Even Tenuta on the offensive line went out. And French said this. It was so unfortunate. He just had his best game. Pro Football Focus rated him like extremely high and then the next game, he's out. So eventually, we're going to burn through the entire team, the entire roster, into, and somebody else is going to... They're starting to be breakouts with COVID on the SEC teams and things like that. We we had ours up front, and I think Vegas is starting to realize like these players are going to start to come back. I, I, I think you're probably right. There's probably a little bit of that. And the line moved. We saw the line move a little bit last week when we got the hooker news. Of course, he didn't end up starting, but uh, I do think that they're they're banking on us getting some of our guys back. But I think it's it's more of a reflection of like the matchup is good. Yeah. Like I think the matchup suits us well for what we've got right now, and I I, I think we're gonna pull off the win. I you know I'm not gonna pick against the spread for the podcast purposes. We kind of did away with that after last year, but I think we're going to get the win. I think it'll be a good solid win against what I consider to be a pretty good team with a first year head coach. So uh, let's hope that's the case. I agree. Let's do a beer break before we jump into our picks. What are you drinking over there, Pete? You know, I'm about to take my first sip of the good gourd 
from Cigar City. Ooh. So why don't you give me a chance to get a taste and you give us your review. All right. I'm drinking a Weird and Gilly. And it's a double dry hopped IPA. It's from Single Cut Beersmiths, which I have never heard before, but I'm always trying to branch out and find some new stuff. 6.6%, so not overly alcoholic, although that's probably high for depending on what you like to drink. It's got a lot of, not too much, but enough citrus flavor in comparison to the one that I just had that makes it, you know, taste pretty delicious. And sorry to stick with just the IPAs, but that's kind of kind of my thing. And I would do this again. I, I've never had this or heard of them before. I've heard of Single Cut, but I did not know where it was from. Yeah, it's out of New York, it looks like. And... Delicious. I actually really like this beer. I don't know how often we'll get it down. I had to get it at the specialty brew shop, but very good beer if you come across it. And I like it. It's gotten a little bit of citrus acid acid to it that um, eats into the double dry hop. Nice. So the Good Gourd, Cigar City, it's an imperial pumpkin ale. And 8%, actually 88 this is amazing. I, I really like this. And Cigar City, we know, puts out some good beers. But you, you never know with the pumpkins. if You're kind of taking a risk. Four-pack, six-pack. Unless you can buy them individually, it's a little bit of a risk because sometimes they just are disappointing. Typical description, ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. But, man, it is, it's great. It's got the cinnamon in there, the clove. Uh, 28 IBUs, so not very hoppy if that's not your thing. And... Man, I love it. I love it. This is it instantly moves towards the top of my list of pumpkin beers. I, oh, I'm, I'm very impressed. And that's a that's a pretty lofty list for you. I you know, pardon me, but I can't even remember. Did I have a pumpkin two weeks ago? Because I know we did the New Mexico beers last week. I think you is did this my first one. pumpkin on the podcast? No, I think you might have done one other. But, I think I and I think the Aleworks pumpkin is still your top of the list. I'll have to. It was my top list. You know what I have that I got at Dominion. The Aleworks Pumpkin Latte, which I will debut, I guess, next week. But I picked it up, and I was asking the guy about it. I'm like, do you have the regular Aleworks Pumpkin Ale? He's like, no, but this is basically the same exact thing, but with some coffee added to it. I'm like, ooh, that sounds amazing. That's a fully (laughs) BB beer. For the sake of the children, I won't explain what BB is, but it begins (laughs) with basic. So, uh, yes. yes. Well, you should see the can. It's got like... A Starbucks like cup on the picture of the can. So <laughs> it is extremely BB. Wow, there you go. Uh, let's do these picks, man. There's a every ACC team is playing this weekend. Syracuse is even playing Liberty, but we've got all 15 teams in games. It has not happened yet, so let's make sure we get through uh, the next couple of days with no COVID scares, and we'll get the entire league playing in one weekend. But the first game we're going to pick is Clemson at Georgia Tech. 27 and a half points, GT the underdogs at home. I will take Georgia Tech, and they're going to get dismantled, but I think 24 points seems about reasonable, and Georgia Tech's coming off of, you know, a reasonable game and starting to kind of put the pieces together, so I'll go with Georgia Tech, like a 24-point game. I was surprised to see Georgia Tech come on late and beat Louisville just like pretty much everyone else. I think we thought Louisville was going to get that win. I'm going to take Clemson, but 
that is not a good feeling because they have not done a good job of covering their games. But when it's under 30 against a team like Georgia Tech, I feel like after last week, maybe we got Clemson getting into like overdrive a little bit here. So I'm going to take Clemson, but I don't feel great about it. Next game, Pitt at Miami. Miami, 10.5 point favorites coming off the loss. Pitt, consecutive one-point losses for the Pitt Panthers. That's uh, that's, that's what Pitt does. And that's what or one-point wins man. or one-point losses sometimes. Yeah. And what's what's what are you feeling with this one? Because I'm thinking oh. it's Pitt, easy pick. Oh, I'm going Miami. After oh, oh after okay. that, yeah, after that Clemson game, they're gonna have, they have to come out and try and prove something if they want to stay relevant. So if they if they if they don't cover this, then uh, it's not gonna be good. Well, I've gotten every Pitt game wrong, so you're probably on there the right go. side. But but doesn't it just feel like? A pit moment a little bit. <laughs> or maybe a Miami moment where everybody thinks they're good and they just fall off the radar. That's also... Yes, yes, right, exactly. That could also be the case. So next game, Louisville at Notre Dame. Notre Dame could not cover against Florida State, and partially due to Florida State's new quarterback that they've been playing. 17 and a half seems low, though, and I'm going to take Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm taking the same. I think that's... Notre Dame's starting to play pretty... Pretty well. I know they didn't cover that, but I think they have the talent. To oh, so you know how I mentioned the top few rushing teams? It was Air Force, Army, us, Georgia Southern. You know who's fifth? Notre Dame. Oh, there you go. So I'm I'm going to go with Notre Dame because I think that rushing attack on Louisville's defense could be yeah pretty pretty bad. And for they'll the just slow things down and grind it out to like three touchdowns up ahead, and it's going to be hard to come back. Yeah, yeah. Next game, Duke at NC State. NC State looking good now. And, and especially considering we beat them, that's great for us. Uh, NC State, four and a half point favorites at home against Duke. You can go first this time. Uh, I'm taking NC State. So I, I think they're starting to get their feet underneath them. And they do have talent. We talked about their talent. So it's just, I think they're getting a little confidence going. Yeah, I like NC State as well. Uh, Duke, what, they just beat Syracuse, and that was that game where I picked Syracuse. I think you picked Syracuse. No, I picked Duke. Oh, you picked Duke in in our pick? I have to go back and listen to it because I thought I picked Syracuse because I was, like, high on Syracuse, but I wrote down Duke, so I might have gotten it wrong. So I (laughs) have have to to fact check it? (laughs) Yeah, I have to go back and fact check myself because I actually do think you're right, and I picked the opposite, and I think I wrote down the wrong thing, but we'll find out. But yeah, everyone, I looked at one of those like CBS like picks, whatever. They have like nine analysts and they show the picks and it was all Syracuse S's. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> like that, that, that's not a good thing. Never, and never Duke good. goes up there and beat them. So when it's the darling pick of the weekend, we said it with the Kentucky game against Auburn. It usually doesn't turn out well. It's like so. everybody picking Dude, Virginia Tech against NC State on game day, it, and everyone picking uh, everyone picking Virginia Tech, yeah, against UNC. Like p- people were on us, and the line kept dropping, and it didn't work out. Next game, UVA at Wake Forest. UVA coming off a uh, not a great performance, and Wake off a bye week. And two weeks ago, they put up sixty six points on Campbell. It's Three and a half point underdogs for the home Demon Deacons. I'm going to go with Wake. 
I'm going to go UVA. So I don't have much more rationale on that one. I don't really care I know. about it's, I don't care about well, this game. And UVA game. is yeah. quarterback questions, yes. right? And Wake, basically, we can go off of Campbell and bye weeks. So, I mean, if anybody's <laughs> got a better read on this, then I'd, I'd be glad to hear it. It's a tough But if UVA were to drop this one, that would be bad. Yeah. Next game, UNC at Florida State. 13 and a half points is the spread. Florida State's obviously the underdogs. I'm going to take Florida State. Uh, call me crazy. I just feel like UNC is going to have one of those letdowns after, you know, the big, like, showy win against Virginia Tech. And then they're going to, like, you know, fall on their face and, like, struggle to win by five or something. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and quite frankly, I think this is probably, this line is probably more about Virginia Tech putting up. 45 points against UNC than anything else. Yeah. So the last game we're going to pick, we're going to go outside the ACC and pick the big game of the weekend. Number three, Georgia versus number two, Alabama. Alabama is six and a half point favorites. Alabama really could have lost last week yeah. to Ole Miss. And I doubted Lane Kiffin. I, in my pick them, I had to you know pick the game, Alabama versus Ole Miss. And I just thought, you know, Nick Saban's going to squash Lane. He knows what Lane likes to do, et cetera, et cetera. No. I told you not, not what to happened. doubt Lane Kiffin. I said I don't like him, <laughs> but do not doubt him is what I said. Joey Freshwater, man. He'll Joey get Freshwater. you. <laughs> I'm going Bama, and UGA's offense just is not – their defense is awesome. It's exceptional. They haven't – they've allowed three points, I think, in the second half of the games that they've played in. But – I think Alabama, especially after getting scared by Joey Freshwater, is going to have to come out and win by by more than the six and a half. It's got to be a touchdown or at least if uh, if Saban's at the helm. And the Alabama offense has been pretty good. Their defense, surprisingly, I thought this was going to be one of those like shut down Alabama defense years. It's really that's not what's going their on. DBs, so I, their DBs are all fresh faces yeah. and stuff like their dbs are pretty suspect actually i'm gonna take georgia I, i'm gonna take the points because i just feel like that defense can keep this within three to five like, I, I i do think alabama's gonna win but i think it's gonna be tight the good news is i so accidentally that, wrote down pit instead of pete for your last pick so that'll be <laughs> maybe you'll get one right now but that'll do it for the picks um yeah, I, I'm excited for the BC game. I want to get a little revenge on these guys. They've beaten us the last two years in a row. Yeah, and so it, it's, I, I am still shocked about the line. I wonder if it'll come down throughout the week, but I kind of don't think so, and that that makes me feel good, honestly. Well, if you, if you look back, people were looking at the line against us. The line started, it moved, and then it moved when Hooker, and then then that morning, once the 15 got announced. The line like shifted really, really, really quickly right before kickoff, five minutes before. Uh, so, okay. Was, saying, yeah, in the UNC game, that once they said there was fifteen players out, it shot the line, back up the a line, bit. the line moved uh, a bit more. So, and um, it didn't have time to move up to where it probably should have been. Cause, yeah, yeah. And my friends were like, "What happened to Virginia Tech?" I was like, "Well, they just announced another fifteen that we didn't expect. So, um, let's just hope it's, you know, some sort of like." 
logarithmic mean that's like happening here that like, you know, it's going to go down to five this, this week, you know, go 23, 21, 15, five or something along those lines. Yeah. BC is three. No against the spread. And honestly, most of their games I've, uh, I think I pick them every week because I, I just feel like BC is one of those teams that they're always a little bit better than you think. And they still have that residual Adazio toughness yeah. and they've done well. But does that mean that this week they fall against the spread? Either way, I don't care as long as they don't win. <laughs> yeah. And well, they're adding, you knew the linebackers from the hangover of Adazio were going to be good. And now they have a, a really good secondary coach as their head coach that, you know, he's spent a lot of years doing it. So, you know, they have two things going on. The, I haven't actually figured out why they're able to pass the ball so well. So I'm excited to watch this game because I haven't seen enough of them this year. So we will, yeah. I'm hoping it doesn't go well, but I'm excited. Yeah. They, they either have the games where they're passing it down the field like they did last week or two weeks ago where they're passing for like, five yards per attempt yeah so it we're, we're gonna see which bc we get all right so you can hit us on twitter it's at 2 vt make sure to follow us on instagram at 2 vt as well as dominion wine and beer and downtown crown wine and beer find them on instagram they always release all of the the new beers they receive on their instagram and social media feeds so it's definitely a worthy follow Thank you for those of you that have been reviewing the podcast. We have gotten a bunch of really positive reviews this past two, three weeks. Um, Thank you again and again, because that is just takes a little bit of time, but not everyone does it. So to those of you that did do it, it's awesome. We're back up to five stars on average. So that is very cool. Uh, And make sure to email us any comments, questions, or concerns you have. 2DVT at gmail.com is the email address. Robbie, did you have anything you needed to add? No, we didn't jinx anybody this week, I don't think. So we got that going for us. Uh, (laughs) I hope hope not. And the week before, we didn't jinx anybody. So since the the Tavion uh, issue that we had on the punt, the punt return, we've been we've been clean so far. So let's hope for another week this this time. And until next week, when we are back on track with the big win over BC, Go Hokies.